welcome to SED. I'm your host, Jane Dagme, Editor-in-Chief of Designers Today. SED covers the wonderful industry of interior design from various, often eclectic, angles. At its most literal, SED is the spoken complement to what's written in the pages of our magazine. Esoterically speaking, SED, S-A-I-D, stands for Something About Interior Designers. In a nutshell, the podcast is devoted to the ongoing curiosity and admiration we have for these diverse, passionate, and often quirky individuals. SED celebrates the way they think, work, live, and define themselves. Enough said. Let's get into our show. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today, my guest is Cheryl T. McLean, principal of McLean and Turquoise, based in Maryland. This is the first time that Cheryl and I met. It's our first date, and I think you will enjoy her company as much as I did. Cheryl is an interior designer with a degree in psychology and a master's in architecture. She was, in fact, the first black female to earn that master's at UCLA. In our podcast, Cheryl traces her journey to design, a profession she arrived at circuitously and deep down believes she was destined to do. Growing up in the 70s, interior design was not a preferred career choice for a young black woman, and so, coming from a family of educators, she chose psychology with the thought of becoming a doctor one day, which she never did. I'm going to let Cheryl guide you down her path and tell you all about it. Cheryl is an ace at forging ahead. Having her own firm now for 17 years, in the midst of a pandemic, Cheryl is relocating her office to outside her home with a move-in date around the end of October after the build-out is complete. Not only is she excited for this life change, but she has also declared Mondays off. Yes, that's right. She has always hated Mondays, and so she has decided to not work them. Her office, however, will still be open. I am so glad I invited her on the podcast. And now, please enjoy my conversation with Cheryl McLean. This is Cheryl. Cheryl, hi, it's Jane. Hi, Jane. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so happy to get the chance to speak with you. Yes, of course. Of course. Yeah. So um, you, um, as as I just want to say, I, I sent you a questionnaire. It's what I do before, you know, any guest comes on. And I was so taken by your story. So. Oh. Um, in the, in the introduction to you, I don't give a lot away because I really want you to talk about how you arrived to be at, at how you arrived at design. Yeah. Like how did you find your passion? Well, the passion was, it's funny. The passion was always there, even though I couldn't identify it as such, as I mentioned in the questionnaire, not to, to sound so, um, I want to say not regular, but you hear it all the time. I was born to design. I think I really was Mm -hmm. (laughs) because as a child, this was my thing. I had to rearrange every space that I was in, at least every space that I was allowed to be in. Right. Uh, What was your your own room like growing up? Oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, you're talking 60, 70. So posters, of course. But believe it or not, I was... 
all the way back then, I was intrigued by animal prints. Oh, I used animal prints uh, everywhere that I could. I um, I learned how to sew from my mother when I was really young. So to make my own pillows and bedspreads was was something I did. That was like my son, you know, my Saturday hobbies. Right. Um, so working with colors, colors have always been big for me. Animal prints have always been big for me. And, uh, you know, I was from a, my mother was a teacher um, by profession Mm -hmm. and my father was a bus driver by profession. So we weren't wealthy by no means living in L.A. We were an average family. And so I didn't have money to, you know, go out and buy all this stuff. So you learn how to make things and you learn how to just create everything that you can imagine yourself. in those days, there were probably five TV programs that you had to learn from. <laughs> you know, they didn't have all this exposure they have now. Right, Which right. Do you remember some what good. some of those were? You know, I love details. Any of oh, okay. what you used to watch? Um, you know, now you're asking me to dig in my memory. Yes. Um, there wasn't much, I'm telling you. Uh, there was um, Leave it to Beaver. Please don't laugh. Okay. <laughs> it was like Leave it to Beaver kind of stuff. Let me just say this. They were the typical all-American suburban white families. That's mm-hmm. the only thing that you were exposed to on TV. Oh, I know. I know. And uh, and you just accepted it that that's how other people lived. Well, it wasn't too different from how I lived. It was just a different flavor to it, if, you, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. But that was the only thing you were exposed to. But... Uh, you know, as I as I'm really, really fortunate to be uh, a product of very creative parents. And um, so I learned more from them and they inspired me more than really what was on TV. Right. Um, with the color and the textures and, and, and that sort of thing. And coming out of New Orleans, you know, I was born in New Orleans. I left New Orleans when I was about. 13. I can hear it. I can hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, in New Orleans, there's all kinds of flavor. There's flavor in food, flavor in music, you know, colors, textures, partying. I mean, just flavor for life, love for life. And it carries through, you know, in New Orleans, if you're from New Orleans, you're always from New Orleans. I don't care where you move. You're Mm -hmm. still always going to be from New Orleans. You carry it with you. And I did. I, you know, my family brought brought me and all of us out to California, and uh, we just we didn't eliminate the the culture and the richness of what I had been, you know, surrounded by in New Orleans. We just added to it the California life. We just kind of added it on top, so it was a real mixture of all of that. Right. So um, the inspiration. It's funny. I think it just. It came from the the kind of child I was. I always was I was very very curious, and always wanted to make things better, and no matter what it was. And so you know, with the influences of the colors and textures, and uh, being the, I I was definitely um, the first child, which means, you know, first child is really an only child. And then they just have siblings. That's got it. Got it. it works. <laughs> you know? So I had my own room and that sort of thing, which was very, very cool. It didn't start out that way, but it ended up that way that I had my own room. 
Yeah. So I created my own little world. So it was, you know, kind of a mixture of all of that. I can't so pinpoint it to one thing. You you had this great creativity. And then mm-hmm. when it came time to go to college, you didn't go creative. You went, no, no, no. So no. Tell, talk well, a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, as a black woman, mm-hmm. um, and coming from a, 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 a family of educators, because my mother was a teacher and my grandmother and all my aunts and my uncles mm-hmm. <laughs> um, coming from that environment. First of all, blacks, black Americans weren't welcomed in a lot of the professions out there. Did you know that because you were told that or like, how did you know that? Well, you know it, you know it in a couple ways. And yes, I was told that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, I was definitely told Mm -hmm. that. Uh, You know, when you're in front of your school counselor and you're saying you want to do something and they're saying, well, maybe you want to do this over here because this isn't really for you. That was that was that was there, you know, and it was talked about. And you knew what they meant by that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's funny, um, which is why I worry so much about the world today, because people think because you're a child, you know, especially young child, they don't really know what racism is. They know very early what racism is, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. Right. They may not discuss it. They may not have the words for it yet, but they know it. And I knew it. Um, so, and then also the, the little nuances, you know, if you're going to be successful, you have to be a doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, you have to be something that everybody kind of knows and respects. And, um, so I, I understood that kind of stress or pressure going in that I needed to be something in, in that somebody knew, you know, um, and I figured the closest I got to it was I was going to be a, a shrink. I was going to be a psychologist. Right. Until, until I found out that these people have too many problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm and like, here oh, you no. are and you do deal with it every day. But can yes, I, may I ask you yes. another question? Because I've been listening. I was on the road Friday and I've been listening to a couple of sure. podcasts. And I heard from um, two black designers, uh, one mm-hmm. Michelle Boyd and Cheryl Luckett. And they said that they were taught. And and I and I when I hear the word taught, I just I'm I'm like, is it explicit or do you learn it by like more nuanced? That um, to be successful as a black person, you are going to work twice as hard for half half the money or something like that. Like that was something that they knew. It is both. Okay. It is both. It is explicit and it is um, and it's subtle. just yeah, more subtle. Mm-hmm. It is both. Um, and it's both, both ways you hear it from your, your family Mm -hmm. because they want to protect you from the hurt that they know exists out Mm, there. Yeah. So you're going to hear it from there. And then you hear it from the outside world because, um, they are telling you the doors are closed and I don't want you there. Right. So you hear it from both. And then, you know, it's not so much what's told as what you see. So you don't see anybody out there creating like that. You don't, uh, you know, you right. You may see some artists, but even then, you know, from the era that I came from, you had people like Baldwin. I mean, you know, he left and went to went to Paris, you know, because of all the racial tension here and accepting uh, James Baldwin and accepting him as an artist here. It was the, the pressure was just 
it was unrelenting and he found that it was more welcoming. He was more welcome in his art in Paris. So it is both Mm -hmm. ways, the protection, I want to protect you. And then I just don't want you in there. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I always have a lot of questions when I'm listening to things. So I, I was, okay. I was curious. Um, so mm-hmm. psychology and how far did you get with psychology before, you know, you realized, I don't know what, what, how far did you get in that field? I got, um, I got my BA in psychology, but I knew before I graduated that um, this was not where I wanted to be. I loved understanding people and figuring them out, mm-hmm. but um I just, I didn't, you know, I was, it's not, it wasn't calling me if that makes any sense. And I don't know what was calling me because this is the troubled times of the seventies. This is when everything was happening. And all I remember is a recruiter from you, uh, from uh, IBM approached me and, you know, they had this big plan and they were, you know, they were recruiting. And I thought to myself, well, I could do that you know, for a little while (laughs) until I figure out what I want. Yeah, IBM, I mean. Yeah, and it was a big thing because there were very few Black IBM, especially IBM women that were in the position that they they were, I was going to be in sales. And I thought, well, okay, I I could do that. You know, and of course, the amount of money, which is like not even enough for car fare now, but the amount of money they were offering was like huge in my eyes. And all I had to do was tell my parents. And unfortunately, because the realization of what it takes to be successful as a Black American, especially in those days, the idea of money took precedent over what you want to do, Mm -hmm. you know? And of course, I took the job. And I did very well. I succeeded. I did not. I enjoyed my take on the job and how I did it. Um, but I knew that that's not what I wanted. I did not want to be in corporate America. Did you have to wear have, pantyhose and a blue suit every day? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You you know, well, as a woman, you could do a brown suit if you oh, wanted to. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to do a blue suit. All those great but colors yeah, you do. loved. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's funny. I don't think that IBM was unhappy when I decided to leave them because as successful as I was, which was very in that office, they could never get me to be that that poster, real straight laced, you know, non-opinionated female image that they had. And I just thought, the box they wanted to put women in was just not cool for me. Mm-hmm. I was much more um, individual. I was much more avant-garde, you know? Yeah. And uh, they couldn't tame that. <laughs> Yay. So what, I couldn't tame that. <laughs> so what, what happens next? <laughs> well, believe it or not, I mean, this is the crazy story that I was telling someone else. And I think I mentioned it in the, in the, Questionnaire, um, the secretary, because in those days you had a secretary. So the secretary sat outside the elevators. And I remember leaving one day thinking, I got to get out of here. I want to move to the East Coast because the East Coast has everything that, you know, I, I imagine this glamour and this difference. And I wanted to get out of L.A. L.A. was getting a little old for me. And I thought, I got to figure this out. I had tried to 
um, transfer and then my branch manager would not transfer me for the reason, his personal reasons. And that is I brought money to that, that particular, I did well and they didn't want to let me go. Right. So the, there was always the promise of next year, next year. And I'm like, I got to get out of here. And I remember I was standing in front of the elevator and the secretary said, Cheryl, you just amaze me. You would be so cute as a airline stewardess. And I, this has never crossed my mind. So I just looked at her and said, what? <laughs> I love that. You would be so yeah. cute. How? Yeah. Yeah. You'd mm-hmm. be so cute as an airline stewardess. And I said, oh, what? And then she said, yeah, you know, my brother is here with the United Airlines and he's a recruiter and they're, they're recruiting um, for the airlines. But you know, these all these women and all these people that they're recruiting, they're only going to take a few and none of them are going to stay in LA. I said, what do you mean? He says, oh no, this is a prime place. They're all going to go to the East Coast or Chicago or New York. And I'm like, really? I said, they move you? (laughs) They pay to move you and set you up? Oh yeah, they do all that. So I stepped, the elevator opened. And when she said that, as she was saying that, I was backing out thinking, well, let me hear what she has to say. And all I could tell you is two weeks later, mm-hmm. I was at training in Chicago as a flight attendant. <laughs> oh, good for because you. My goal was I'll take myself there on the East, even though you couldn't tell me at the time that Chicago was not the East Coast. It was the East Coast as far as I was concerned. It was glamorous. It was East of LA. <laughs> you know, And it was great. And um I had just decided I could do this for a couple of years, you know, have fun and travel and do what I got to do. I have enough of a a resume that when I want to get serious again, I will just find a job there. Right. And that's what kind of got me started, except I never gave up the airlines. That was the funny part. I actually stayed with the airlines for like 26 years. Wow. Is what I did. Always the way I worked my schedules, I always like had, you know, other things going on. Um, It wasn't until, you know, like I went back to school for um, design. It was interior design. Mm -hmm. I went back to school and um, everything was fine. Did you go Um, to school in Chicago? I did not. Uh, I'm just going to tell you what kind of life I lived. Mm-hmm. I went to school at UCLA. I went to school in, in LA at UCLA in their interior uh, interior design program. What I did was I was based in Chicago. I lived in LA. I commuted to work and I bid all the trips back to LA. So I, I, I believe it or not, I worked my way back to LA and always had uh, my my layovers so I could take some classes and then work my way back that night. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of all-nighters, work my way back to Chicago. And in the morning, I would, what they call jump seat, just hop a ride back to LA for a couple of days. And that was my days off. And I did that for a couple of years. Wow. That takes, just, uh, you know, that's a certain, I think, um, skill at scheduling and, <laughs> and yes. managing yes. that, which I'm sure comes in handy these days too. My goodness. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I, I was I didn't look at the design, that whole thing that had to do with design. I never looked at that as work. I never looked at that as work. So I was fine. Um, it got to a point where um, I could really manage it. I stopped school 
Well, before I stopped, I stopped school for about a year and just did a lot of traveling, real traveling. And then uh, I went back. I did it slowly. You know, I was only taking one or two classes. I wasn't taking a full time. And I did it over a couple of years. And then I remembered when I officially had finished like the second year of it or the first year of interior design and, and uh, the dean of that program and one of my instructors had taken a special interest in me. I was doing pretty, pretty well. I was pretty successful at it. And they, they came to me and they said, Cheryl, we really think that you should apply for the architecture program on the main campus. And I'm looking at them like, what? What arch- I don't know any architects. Mm-hmm. What? I just want to be an interior designer, you know? And I just didn't know. But they pushed and they pushed. And I did. I submitted my, my resume. And, you know, I had been out of school a while. So I, you know, I just gave them everything they wanted. And lo and behold, I actually got accepted, which... Trust me, at the time that I was doing it, I was just kind of placating them. I really didn't think this was going to happen. But when it happened, it was like, oh, my God, somebody actually, you know, um, appreciated the work because my work that I submitted was was a portfolio. They really appreciated it. So that was a whole nother chapter is now I'm going to architecture school. And was that and hard? I mean, was that very difficult? Um, extremely. Yeah. Extremely. And not because of architecture. It was hard because let's just say that it was a three-year program and I did, I graduated and I was the first black female in UCLA in 1990. We're not talking about a million years ago. But I was the first black female to get my master's in architecture. Was that weird, like being on a campus with, oh, you know? Um, it wasn't <clears throat> It wasn't weird to me because I had evolved so much. I was well-traveled. I was this, you know, and I understood and I was older. So it wasn't weird to me. It was probably weird to some of them. Um, I went through, you know, all the things that you hear about, except that you think it's in the 60s and not the and not the 90s. And that's, you know, having the N-word uh, in blue paint in the hallway of the of uh, the school that we're in. And, you know, oh saying, and so and so go home. I mean, I went through all of that. I've had projects stolen. I went through craziness. <laughs> mm. Craziness. Yeah. But, um, but, but I loved I loved it. I loved the architecture. They were silly. I loved the architecture. So when I graduated, um, I was fortunate enough to uh, work for in a first intern that I did was in a woman's firm, all women firm. And it was, you know, there was one woman, Norma Scalera, who's probably the most famous black architect. And I think the first licensed black architect in the United States she was the one of the principals and she really brought me to the firm and I just adored her and learned a lot from her for the short period of time that I was there. And then I decided, okay, I need to move back. I need to move this time instead of back to the East Coast, Chicago. I need to really move to the Chicago, to the East Coast, you know? Right. And um, the school, UCLA actually wanted me to, to move to New York and they set me up with all these interviews. I just didn't want anything from them. They really 
had disappointed me in some ways. They, they, they were so beneficial in one way. And then they, I just didn't want what they wanted. I wanted my own, my own way. So I applied to uh, a couple of firms in uh, the DC area. There was a black firm that, that had hired me and I started working there. Meantime, just to give you a little back, back history, while mm-hmm. I was in school, because you had to be full time, um, I used to fly for United. United actually had given me educational leaves. So mm. I wasn't flying during those period of time. So that was great. That's generous. Um, yeah, nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. It was great. And when I came to the D.C. area, of course, I had to make the decision on whether or not I was either going to go back or quit. So what I decided to do, I had enough seniority then that I could just work weekends, you know, um, and fly on the weekends, like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah. And I just worked at the architectural firm the other days. Um, And I did that for a while. And then when I got laid off, I really thought about, you know, I'm laid off. You've got a chance to like do some more trauma, but you also got a chance to like regroup. And I made the decision that um, I actually still, as much as I like design um, in architectural design, I still had this passion for interiors. So I started doing little projects on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, people had, had met me and they wanted me to do their space. And um, I wasn't big on residential. I was more in the commercial and uh, somehow I just kind of built my own reputation and I'm still flying. And then lo and behold, 9-11 happens. Mm-hmm. So 9-11 meant a lot to everybody. But being that at that time I was based in, I stopped being based in D.C. I was commuting. I was based in New York and I was working for United and I lost friends of mine on the, on the flights mm-hmm. of 9-11. And it just jarred me to the bone. And I had said, okay, life is short. What is it that you want to do? And I made a decision then that I need to have an exit plan and I'm going to open up a design firm, mm-hmm. an interior design firm. Mm-hmm. I'm going back to what I wanted to do. And that's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> and that was 2003. That was 2003. Yeah. And yeah, I, um, I've done, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, so, but, so you mm-hmm. opened up your firm and did mm-hmm. you, was your specialty commercial? Uh, my specialty was both <laughs> whoever would hire me mm-hmm. when I opened it up, because what I didn't have is I had no experience in running a business, you know, and that's the one thing that, cause I, I do a lot of, uh, I teach sometimes interior designs as guests, you know, guests, guest instructors. And, and I tell people, when you say you want to be an interior designer, do you want to be an interior designer or do you want to own an interior design business or do you want to do both? Because they are very different from one another. Yes. And I learned that the hard way. Um, I wanted to do both. So there was a period of time right after that to step out that I bought one of those uh, decorating franchise thinking that they would have a structure that I could kind of fall into. Um, It worked for about a year and a half until I realized that it was too limiting for me Mm -hmm. and I had too much experience to be in it. And then I just broke off and then just went, you know, on my own and just had hired great coaches, you know, invested in coaching and people coaching me 
to get me to the level that I'm at. So I do now uh, all of it. I do residential. I love residential. Um, I do multifamily, senior housing. That's a big project that I'm just finishing up now. And I do some commercial. Mm-hmm. I actually, yeah. when I was I was on your website um, after the podcast, not today, but I'm going to make a date with you and I want to talk about your uh, senior living. So, oh, sure. I'm, yeah, I'm like, oh, yay. Um, something <laughs> I, I want to learn about and something I'm writing about. Oh, great. Hey, listeners, it's Jane Dagmy, editor in chief of Designers Today. I'm so glad you found our podcast. Did you also know that we print our magazine eight times a year and mail it to your home or office? Yes. Interior design professionals can request a complimentary subscription by simply going to designerstoday.com and clicking on the button at the top that says subscribe. It's that simple. And while you're there, if you hit the newsletter tab, you can sign up for our weekly news as well as that of our sister publications. And now back to our show. In 2003, I mean, you said you had met some people and you certainly had built some connections working for different people, but how did you market yourself when you first opened? Oh, I didn't know anything about marketing. <laughs> I didn't know so anything did, about marketing. So did you? There was no real social media right. stuff there. But what happened was I met through dating, I met someone who he finished school about the same time I did. He finished at MIT as a uh, civil engineer and he was a contractor. And it's like, hey, Mm. we can do things together. And I sort of, you know, through him and socializing and I met other contractors uh, and they would call me in on a project and I, you know, I would, I would work on those projects. I knew nothing about pricing. Social media wasn't existing. I didn't know anything about any of that. I knew that I loved doing what I did. Uh, That's all I knew. Awesome. So, so your, (laughs) so your hubby is a contractor? No, not my hubby. I didn't marry him. Okay. We're just friends. Okay. (laughs) No, but the guy that I was dating at the time was a contractor. Okay. So uh, that kind of pulled me in and, um, and it, it was probably, by design, because the only people I was interested in was people who had something to do with the business. That's the only conversations I wanted to have. Right. Because I was just hungry to get as much knowledge about what I was doing. And at that time in 2000, you're saying 2003, when I first came, are we talking about 2003? Are we talking about my connections? You were talking well, about my connections. Well, just sort of when you start out on your own, what, what yeah, that is when like. I started yeah. Out, yeah, when I started out, Before I left the airlines and I was just building, you know, a a repertoire of clients, that was more architecture. Mm -hmm. And that's why people like, you know, having a friend that's a civil engineer or a contractor was important because that's the kind of work they do. Um, Yep. The other stuff, just kind of family, you know, uh, they're talking about, you know, proud mamas telling their friends, (laughs) you know, Uh and it's like I get a call and it's like, sure. Um, and then I started, you know, really, you know, investigating time and research because I had never really done that because I had no time. I was working two jobs you know, right. at all times. Right. Wow. So it must have I, felt like when you gave up flying and you had a single career, one thing that you were doing, you know, instead of juggling, that must have felt, that must have felt good. Um, it did. 
It did. And it felt good. And I was ready for it Mm -hmm. because as much, you know, I still have really good friends who are still flying, by the way. Mm -hmm. And as much as I love traveling and I do, and I went everywhere for the last 10 years of it, I was an international flight attendant. So I went everywhere in the world. The day I quit, I did not miss it ever. I still don't. I miss my friends and I miss the layovers. Yes. <laughs> but I don't miss I don't miss it. So I knew that I had done the right thing and I could just really just dive in and do what I was passionate about. Right. And I yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I, I love your story. I love it. So um I'd like to fast forward a little bit and talk about because I was like, oh, Cheryl's written a book. Tell us about your book a little bit and what okay, sort so of the- yeah. The book I wrote in like 2015, I think. It feels like 20 years ago. And, you know, it's a combination of my psychology background and my design background. Because what I found is when I was meeting all these potential clients and I, you know, I was looking at how certain people, especially women, struggled sometimes with allowing themselves and giving themselves permission to just have beautiful things that they actually want and not feel guilty about it, Mm -hmm. you know? And it intrigued me because I'm from a very strong uh, maternal family. My, My parents eventually divorced. I'm from a very strong maternal family and I was taught to be strong. And I would meet these women who would bring me in. And these women in in my eyes were like gods. They were like CEOs and they had money and they had everything. But when it came to decisions about their home or their, you know, and there was, there was a cowardness that I could see. And I said, I got to address this. This is crazy. This doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. No, we are stronger than this. And so I started just making notes and I wrote the book. One, you know, I called the book Designology. Yep. And the book is for powerful women, you know, who are who are the the makers of the world as far as I'm concerned. But I wanted to help them understand one, the process of interior design not the technical process of, okay, first we sign a contract and then we do this. It's the mental process that you have to go through because with women who are strong like that, and I'm very attracted to that. I just, I'm just very proud of women that, that have really forged, you know, a a successful life. Um, I'm very proud of that and for them. So when these women um, who have had to claw their way, most of them, to get to that point. They're all about control because that's what got them there. Mm-hmm. And then when we talk about interior design or somebody coming in your life, because trust me, interior designers, they're in your life. Right. If, they're, if they know what they're doing, they're in your life. For them to give up some of that control to somebody they don't know was very difficult. So I wanted to have a book so that they could understand that trust factor and how to give into that and open up to that so that somebody can really help them move to another level. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what that book was about. And that's That sounds interesting. Oh, very interesting. Did you, um, so you come out with a book, did you speak at like 
female entrepreneur conferences? Like, how did you get I, I had a couple of speaking, out there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> me, me and marketing, huh? I'm just so terrible at that. But uh, uh, actually, after the book was written, um, there's the Black Interior Design Network. Right. And they had contacted me and said, you know, we'd love for you to be at one of their conferences. They had me as a keynote. And I said, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah. And um, then I found out I really love to speak, even though I haven't had time lately to like, dive into that. That's my 20. Well, I said it was going to be 2020, but 2020 got hijacked with this COVID kind of thing that right. I would get back into speaking. But um, I did, in fact, uh, keynote, keynote rather on that. And there were a couple of little smaller uh, organizations that had called me in and I would speak. And um, people were fascinated. I was fascinated at them being fascinated, if that makes any yes, sense. Yes, totally. No, I, you know? I think it's great. I feel like, um, oh, it's it's a wonderful topic to think about. I just think uh, it's so interesting looking at strong women who are so capable in so many areas. And then when it comes time to potentially their private personal space and letting somebody in and taking control a little bit. Um, yeah, it's hard yeah, for them. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. There's a way. Yeah. There's a roadmap. <laughs> There's a roadmap. <laughs> so you have figured it out. Yeah. I, I think I have. You know, I'm actually in the process now. I'm going to update the book because I've had a name change. Um, I used to be called Decoria Interior Designs, and then I dropped that. And uh, now I'm McLean and Turquie. And uh, I. I, uh, it was interesting when I decided to have a name change. Um, Decoria was a name that sounded right when I first, you know, would decide to go out on my own, but um, it wasn't a fit for me. And McLean is my last name and Turquie is my maiden name. Okay. And they are the two most important influences in my life. And I said, I need to celebrate this. My company is McLean and Turquie. It's a mixture of, of, me before marriage and me after marriage. And I'm know? glad you told, said that because I was going to ask you who, who was Turquie, although I was going to <laughs> mispronounce it. And and so I'm glad you said it first. <laughs> yeah, yes, Even though I've studied I, yes, French I and both. I should have known that. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, oh, very interesting. So, um, so tell me about this and I, tell me about the online masterclass called Breathing Time. Okay, What's so that? Breathing Time... Pardon me? What's that? Um, actually, I did this um, because we're all in this frantic, you know, nobody knows what they want to do. They, you know, it's like. Um, you mean you the 2020 have, thing? You mean it's like the this 2020 is, yeah. thing. Okay. Yeah, this was one of my latest um, master. It was a master class. It was, you know, they, I called it a master class. I did. Actually, there were quite a few people that were signed in on it. So I was like, oh. Was it People a live Zoom? Or was, yeah. And I kind of just went over some parts of my book and some parts of slow down, take a breath, and let's look at what we're really dealing with here. And what is it that you want, you know? And what is it that you're pushing aside because um, you don't know how to move in the direction of what you want? kind of thing. Uh, but I related it to the home and the office because people are, you know, um, I find some people 
are just lost right now. You know, they've kind of lost their footing. They, they sort of forgot what was important to them and they don't know what is important anymore. They feel a little guilty, I think that they have still have desires by the world is burning, you know, kind right. of thing yeah. that's going on. And I'm yeah. like, no, we're, we're capable. We are an expansive. Our brains can expand to all kinds of levels. We can handle all of this. When, when you <laughs> do this things in perspective, yeah. is your audience, is it designers? Is it women? Is it anybody who, who it's never, you know, I think on this one, I had like two designers cause they're friends of mine mm-hmm. and they were, I needed them to, to, to make notes for me, but no, they're women. They are people on my newsletter. Mm-hmm. Um, I do show houses every once in a while. So everybody in that mailing list, right. They're just, you know, they're working women. They're I belong to, uh, I don't know if you uh, know WPO, but WPO is Women's President's Organization. Okay. It's uh, probably one of the most powerful organizations for women in the world, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. They're uh, a combination of all CEOs and presidents um, required. You have to have at least 51% of your business. Very successful women from all over the world. Mm-hmm. From a million to zillions, <laughs> you know, and um, so some of those members were on as well because I'm in that organization. And uh, so it's just women. I'm right. just talking to women, really. Yeah. I, lo- I love that. Do you, that part of you, that sort of educator part, mm-hmm. the, the shrink part, you know, mixed with designer. I mean, it's lovely to see that. Well, it's lovely to see that come out because that is like you, like what your company's called, you know, yeah. your evolution. It's, it's within yeah. you. You've always been curious about that. So I, that's beautiful. I want to, um, I want to peek in on, on one of those breathing times. I'm, I want to know Cheryl with all your traveling, like can you tell me like three of your favorite places that you've been? Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, it's, well, the hardest part is to narrow, to narrow it down. Of course, three. of yeah, course. Yeah. But um, I love now, I, you know, once again, I'm like everybody else. I love Paris. Mm-hmm. I love Paris. And I love the French. I really do. And um I love it because they're, they have such a loosey-goosey way of, of, of life, you know? They, they believe in enjoying life. And if it's not about enjoyment, then they don't want any part of it. And there's, there's something very intriguing about that. Um, so I love, I love Paris. I love the history of it. I love the food. Um, and, you know, coming from New Orleans, where there was such a strong influence of French. Right. There was a lot that I was able to actually relate to in, uh, you know, in uh, in Paris, uh, Italy, because of the design. I, I mean, there are no better designers in the world in terms of the, the meticulousness and the beauty of it. I just loved it. Um, so I love Italy. And um I want to say it's a tie mm-hmm. between Brazil and Ghana. I both of them I just love for for similar reasons because the culture is so pronounced but yet um very inviting, you know? Um 
so in the colors. Oh my God, the colors from both countries, the mm-hmm. colors, the textures, and and that sort of thing. So I could just, you know, I can name like, you know, if you, it would have been fair if you'd said, what are you, you know, what are your top fifty? <laughs> right, right. That's the next. That's yeah. podcast number two. Okay, that's the follow up. <laughs> I know. Well. Yeah. Um, nobody's going many places now, but you know, we can yeah. dream for next year. What about, That's right. Um, my, my, my last question for you is just with 2020, mm-hmm. um, what is one thing that you have learned or taken away from this year so far that you're, you're happy about? Um, that with all of the craziness and all of the the racial unrest, which is like, I'm so fatigued. It's like, okay, have we been doing this since the 60s? Can we just move off of this? But with all of that and, and the fear and all of that, there is still a strength that I see in people that want to just move forward, that want to go on. You know, I'm doing something that is exciting for me because my office is a home office mm-hmm. and I've te- I've been in a home office always. And um, I am actually in the I am buying an office now. I'm in the midst of it now so that it goes through. I can't wait. You know, That's it's already exciting. been exciting. Yes, I'm I'm moving into another realm and um I wanted to do it in the midst of all of this because this that's happening is not going to stop me or slow me down. And I see this that I'm that I'm experiencing in a lot of other people. And I'm happy about that. Thanks so much for listening to Said. I sincerely hope you got something of value from the podcast that feeds your brain and fills your heart. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you're in the interior design trade and related industries and would like to sign up for a complimentary subscription to the printed or digital magazine, visit designerstoday.com right now and sign up. Until next time.